Hiring the wrong people for your team can hurt your business. Did you know that the average cost per hire in the United States is around $4,000? It's a process that takes a lot of time, and when someone doesn't match the culture and mission of the organization, you start losing money by the minute. The good news is that there are proven methods that help you get the right candidate on board the first time. In our upcoming masterclass, Don't Just Hire, Hire Right, I'll explain how to conduct an effective behavioral interview. By the end of the masterclass, you'll be able to plan, prepare, and conduct a high-quality interview, ensure the process is consistent, fair, and legal, and hire the right candidate for your company. Save the date, August 23rd, 2023, at 10 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Please find the link to register in the show notes or go to our website, Gerard Training Solutions, for more info on this and more masterclasses. One of the big problems is that we think we're connected at the moment when we're actually not connected. So we spend a lot of time having you know, our emails beeping at us and dinging at us and being on social media and being on things like Teams and so on, which is supposedly productivity apps, which are actually decreasing our productivity. And so what we need to do is connect to people in real life where we actually have a meeting with someone and actually connect with them and shake their hands and look them in the eye. Welcome to Management Development Unlocked, where you will learn how to nurture a world-class management team. And now your host, Eric Gerard. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Management Development Unlocked. I am thrilled that you are here. Hey, while you still have your device in your hand, I'd like to ask you the usual three favors, please. Number one, please subscribe to the show. Number two, please share the show with just one other person. And number three, Go to Gerard Training Solutions and download my free ebook on becoming a manager. Today, I have Dr. Mark Williams with me. Mark, welcome to the show. Who are you and what do you do? <laughs> Hi, Eric. Thanks a lot for having me. I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. I've been studying the brain and how we communicate and how we connect with each other and um, how we become more productive and how we learn. So in the last five years or so, I've been working with organizations on creating brain healthy organizations where people are learning and being more productive within the organization, which is, we've seen a huge drop in that in the last couple of years. And um, yeah, I'm trying to get us back on track. And as a learning and development professional, of course, you're speaking my love language. <laughs> I absolutely, absolutely want to see people learn and be productive and grow. So I'm really looking forward to chatting with you this afternoon. It's right. a, it's morning your time tomorrow, right? It is. It's yeah. yeah. I'm ahead of you guys. So <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so, <laughs> so where where are you exactly? I'm in Sydney, Australia. Beautiful. And and as my listeners know, I used to live in Sydney. So that's a beautiful place. Beautiful place. Beautiful area to live. I'm nice and close to the beach, so I get to surf most days, which is awesome. Oh, nice. <laughs> which beach? Uh, it's Warrywood Beach. It's my closest. Okay, nice. But I'm just down the road from uh, North Narrabeen, which is the only beach outside of the U.S., which was in the song uh, Surfing in the USA. Okay. <laughs> so nice. there you go. A little trivia for you. <laughs> yeah. I spent a lot of time at Manly when I was there. Ah, nice. Yeah, it's nice down there. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, and then I learned how to surf. I didn't learn how to surf in Cronulla, but I spent a lot of time in Cronulla, and my dive shop was in Cronulla. Mm-hmm. And then and then we went north from there. So oh, nice. Interesting oh, it's stuff. All, it's all beautiful. We've got a yeah, whole big, big coast. It's pretty empty, you, most of it. <laughs> you do. <laughs> well, today our focus is on connection, 
And uh, I've got a few questions for Mark to, to kind of kick us off and, and we'll see where they go. So the first question I have for you, Mark, is why do we need to connect before we can manage? Yeah, that's a good question, probably because I made it up. The big problem is that we don't listen to people and we don't hear people the same if we're not actually connected with them. So we actually hear what they say differently if we're connected with them versus not connected with them. So there's a lot of research now showing that if if you're connected to someone, what you hear the positive things in a positive light and you hear the negative things also in a positive light because you're trying to learn from that person. But if you're not connected with them, then you only really hear the negative things that they're saying and the positive things you'll actually twist in a way where you're actually hearing it as a negative as well. So you're not actually, you can't relate to the person in the same way. We also find people who we're connected with more attractive than we do people who we're not connected with. So we're also more attracted to them. So we're, we're more willing to actually listen to them and, and relate to them. And also we see their emotions and, and their body language in a different way. So when we're connected, we actually get into this sync. And there's some beautiful research now also showing that um, when people are connected, their brainwaves actually sync up. So they're actually in synchronization. So they're more likely to be attending to things at the same time as each other. So therefore, they're more likely to be able to teach someone. And we know that you can't teach someone unless you're actually connected to them. You can't discipline someone unless you're connected to them. So as a manager, it's really essential that you make that connection first and then try to actually teach them or then try and manage them or then try and onboard them. But if you're not making that connection first, then they're not going to understand what you think you're actually telling them. Okay. And and maybe for the uninitiated, we should take a step back and define what connection means. It yeah, might, it a- might seem... It might seem obvious, but I just I just want to get some some base work laid. Yeah, one of the big problems actually in this whole area is a lot of people think engagement is connection, and it's not. It's very different. So engagement is very temporary, where you might be engaged in a task, or you might be engaged with a person because all of a sudden they've said something that you find interesting. Whereas connection is actually make make that individual feels as though they're part of your group, as part of your in group. So it, it's a much more um, sustained relationship and it requires a little bit more time and a little bit more engagement. It doesn't happen just temporarily, it happens over time and it involves, yeah, the person feeling as though they're part of your group. Now, there's lots of stuff out there on tribes, which, you know, some of it's good, some of it's complete nonsense, but it's not tribal because it's not setting stone. It's not that we actually feel as though we're part of this tribe and we're not part of any other tribe. The connection can actually grow or decrease. So there's some great studies being done where they've shown, depending on what you're thinking about or what you've actually been discussing, you can either increase or decrease your tribe or, or, or your connection or who you're actually feeling connected to at the time. So within an organisation, you're going to have people who are going to feel connected to you know their team, their small team, and then they may not feel connected to the organisation as a whole. Or they may feel connected to the team and also the larger group and then the larger organisation. And it depends on how the organisation's set up and how they've actually uh, onboarded and then continued that relationship across the whole organisation. So co- connection is really about that. It's about being part of the group, but, you know, having that circle around you and being part of that group. That just it reminds me, I keep going back to the first job I had in Silicon Valley where I worked for a guy named Brent, and he was excellent at creating a tribe, at getting us all together, and then after him, Jeff just kind of continued that and and, and built a, a really strong group of people. And 20 years later, we're all still in touch. So even though we've all scattered to the winds, you know, and we're in different continents, we're still we're still talking. That's so, really cool. So, 
Yeah, it is. He's a good, good leader. Good leader. Really good. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. I'm going to try yeah. to get him on the podcast if I can, if I can prime, prime away from his UPS store. <laughs> so now that we know what connection is, Mark, how do we connect? So firstly, you need to take the time. One of the things that we miss out on a lot at the moment is we're online. And so therefore we miss out on a lot of the important neurotransmitters that normally or would have been normally released when we actually tried to connect to someone. So number one is touch. So in all societies, we have a way of touching each other in an appropriate way when we actually greet him. So in stoic societies like here in Australia and in the US, we shake hands in, you know, European countries, they'll kiss. Um, on the cheeks, even the Inuits, because they're fully covered, will rub noses because you need to touch your skin. And the reason you need to do that is that we have what we call C fibers on our skin, which are only there for touch and they're only activated to touch. And those C fibers release oxytocin in our brain. And the oxytocin actually makes us more willing to connect to someone. It actually makes us more open to that relationship, to creating that relationship and more open to been in a new relationship with this person. So the first thing you need to do is shake hands with the person when you actually greet them because that will actually release the oxytocin. Then sit down and actually have a conversation with them face-to-face where you actually give them time to relate to you. So you need to be vulnerable in that situation where you actually give them information which tells them a little bit about you so that they're going to actually want to connect and it makes them feel as though you're open to connecting with them. And also listen to them. One of the big problems we have in society at the moment is we don't stop and listen to people. People are constantly busy and trying to get everything over and done with and also trying to give them the information, especially during that initial stages when you're trying to onboard a new employee, you're probably going to have a bunch of stuff that you have to tell them. But first you need to connect before you start telling them that stuff. And again, you need to give them that space. So stopping after they say something to you to actually give them the idea that you're actually listening to them rather than you've got a whole bunch of stuff you're just trying to get out at them, right? And so we've got to have that gap. Most people find it really awkward having that gap these days, whereas we used to do it quite normally. And so, you know, if someone says something to you, wait 30 seconds, then respond to them because that shows that you've actually thought about it. Because if you don't do that, it shows that you're not thinking about it. You've just got a whole bunch of stuff that you want to get out and you want to tell them and you don't really care about them as a person. So those are, those are two really easy things to do. A, shake hands with them, which is one thing a lot of people don't do these days, and then give them that, those gaps so that they can actually see that you're actually considering what they're saying before you're responding to what they're saying. This is where I just sit and, and look at you for 30 seconds now, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I completely agree with you. And in the first chapter of my book, I do talk an awful lot about the importance of listening and how uh, there are actually three levels of listening. And how important it is to try to go deep and and listen deeply for what is being said and what's not being said. And in today's society, it's it's so easy to overlook it and just try to cram in your thoughts, maybe before the other person has has even finished speaking. Just talk right over them. Yeah, and a lot of people, I almost did it then, a lot of people already have have something they want to say and they're thinking about how am I going to say that while the other person's talking to them, which means they're not listening to the other person. They're actually just thinking about what they're going to tell that person, what they want, the information they want to give that person, rather than actually learning something from that individual. And and people are amazing, right? We've all had very different experiences throughout our lives and we all have something to offer. So it's important to give people that opportunity to, to inform you of their lives and inform you of what they've got to offer you. Yeah, I found just in my own experience when I'm teaching 
if I spend a couple of minutes, three or four minutes at the beginning of a class and just talk a little bit about myself and not my professional bio, but talk about the fact that I've got twin girls and that I recently moved to Seattle and that I love to scuba dive and mountain bike, just sort of letting people get to know me a little bit better, class mm -hmm. goes better. Yeah, absolutely. And I encourage them to do that, this, do the same so that, you know, everybody is sort of connected and more likely to, to, to collaborate and work better together throughout the, the, the course. Yeah, absolutely. It's really important to do that. It doesn't matter what, you know, what, what you're actually doing, whether or not it's, you're running a course or you're a manager or you're a teacher or you're a parent. You've got to give that time first before you can actually then. And, and this was originally studied around actually around, um, psychology doing psychoanalysis so you know there's a lot of research originally back to 150 years ago showing that if the if the psychologist didn't first make connection with the patient then psychotherapy didn't work at all and, and we now know that you know, teachers we with huge amount of research now and unfortunately it's not getting to a lot of the teachers but teachers need to sit down and connect with their students first before they can actually teach their students and the best teachers are the ones that actually do that and actually you know the kids then learn a lot better and a lot happier in the classroom. And, and again, with managers, we know in organisations where ma the managers and the leaders that do that are the ones that are, you know, are really successful and get the best out of their employees. And employees are happy and want to stay, which is good, right? It's extremely expensive to get new employees, to have people quitting all the time or, or you know, moving on all the time and onboarding and all those things. So what we want is happy employees who have you know, healthy brains. And we do that. Most of that's done through just that original connection, just giving that a little bit of extra time to get so much more out of everybody. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, now now you're making me think of an instructor I had when I was in my first year or two of college, and he sat down with me. It wasn't anything formal. He just he just sat down with me outside the outside the classroom. I think we were just chatting, and he asked me about my life, and he asked me about the shirt I was wearing. I was wearing some kind of outrageous Grateful Dead tie dyed T shirt, <laughs> and he was curious about what it said and what it meant, and. He wanted to know what made me tick, you know, and, and I really liked this guy. I don't think I got an A in his class, but I really enjoyed the class and wanted to continue a relationship with him after I was done. So that was very impactful. Yeah. And, that, and that's what we, we all need to do, right? As a manager, what you want to do is have a whole group of people who are really keen to work for you, right? To, to get stuff done for you, to be innovative and creative and to come up with ideas. And if things are going bad, come to you and say, hey, this isn't working or that's not working or, you know, whatever. How can we do this better? Or this is how we could do it better, right? You've got to have those relationships so you've got that trust. So those employees will actually come to you and say, hey, this isn't working, but I, I came up with this idea and be willing to do that. Employees aren't, people aren't willing to do that unless they trust you, unless they feel part of your group. Otherwise, they'll just ignore it because they don't really care. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Been there, done that. <laughs> Experienced it. Got the T-shirt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's what happens, right? A lot of organizations grow very quickly because they're successful, but then then they don't have time to, to spend that time with their employees. And you end up, you know, we know the bigger an organization gets, the more likely they're going to collapse because of the fact that you get more and more employees who don't feel as though they're part of that group or part of that thing so therefore they don't enjoy it as well and so therefore they don't give feedback and they don't they're, they're not keen to actually make it work and that's why these organizations collapse once they get to a certain size mm -hmm. yeah yeah i can see that as well well 
Tell me more about why people are more likely to listen and respond positively to people they're connected with. Because we, we, we don't perceive the world as it actually is. What we're doing, our brain is actually interpreting the input and then changing it. I'll give you a, let's get deep for a second. I'll give you a quick example. One is, is of course, sound. So there's no sound out there in the world. Uh, sound is an illusion that our brains create. And so when I speak, if we're in the same room, when I speak, my voice box moves, which creates a wave in the air. But that's not sound. That's just a simple wave in the air. And it's through, you know, our eardrum and then our cochlea and so on that we get activity in a certain area of our brain based on the frequency of that sound. And then our brain creates this illusion of a sound. But it's not a sound that's actually out there in the world. It's a sound that our brain creates based on our memory, based on our connections, and it's really degraded what we're actually receiving. But that's not what we hear, right? Because our brains create this really nice perception for us. And so our brains are also changing that or, or they're creating that based on whether we're connected to someone or not connected to someone. So if you like someone, you will interpret what they're saying because we're brains are interpreting this information more positively. Whereas if you don't like someone, you'll interpret it very negatively, which is why two people could listen to say, you know, a, a particular politician, and, and they'll hear completely different things from that politician because one person likes that politician and is connected to that politician. The other person's not connected to that politician. So therefore they take away and they actually hear what they're saying completely differently. And then also our memories aren't veridical. Our memories are actually generated by what we, what, what our brains have generated Plus, based on information that we receive when we're, when we're sleeping, in fact, we won't go into that, but that's a whole another area of research, which is really cool. But um, also based on what happens when we're sleeping, when, when we're testing out things during REM sleep. And so what we remember the next day and the following day and a week later and two weeks later is going to change based on all of our later experiences with that person as well. So again, if we are connected to them, then what we hear and what we remember they said is going to be different compared to if we don't like them, if, we, if we're not connected with them and what we don't hear. So you, you've got to really connect before you can actually try and teach. Otherwise, you really have no idea what the person's actually hearing or remembering over long term. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard that people remember the first thing they hear, the last thing they hear, and anything that's repeated or unusual. And I can imagine that if if they're connected with you, they're gonna they're gonna remember a whole bunch of different things mm-hmm. than if they're biased against you and don't like you. Yeah, yeah, they're gonna pick and choose what they're actually. Mm-hmm. Well, they don't pick and choose, but their brain pick and just picks and chooses through their yeah working memory what they want to hear because we're constantly trying to make sure that our our lives confirm what we already believe right so if you already believe someone's a nice person and they're going to be saying nice things about you and they're going to be then you're you're just looking to confirm that 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 we have this really strong confirmation bias whereas if you think someone's nasty and they're out to get you or you think someone is isn't part of your in-group and you don't really like them then you're going to be constantly trying to confirm that they're not very nice and that they're not out to get you and they're not very intelligent. So therefore the information that they're going to be giving you isn't actually going to be worth listening to. And so you're going to be trying to confirm that constantly. So this confirmation bias that we have to make sure the world is, you know, continues the way we believe it is, um, is going to continually confirm what we believe about that person. And, and if we like them, then we're going to be looking for those positive things. We're going to be always trying to prove that they're a you know, a nice person, that they're an intelligent person, that they've got good things to say rather than bad things to say. Love it. Absolutely love it. All right. Taking a slightly different tack here, 
continuing on the, the theme of connection, but with a different question on it, how do we increase productivity? One of the big problems is that we're, we think we're connected at the moment when we're actually not connected. So we spend a lot of time um, having you know, our emails beeping at us and dinging at us and being on social media and being on things like Teams and so on, which is supposedly productivity apps, which are actually decreasing our productivity. And so what we need to do is connect to people in real life where we actually have a meeting with someone and actually connect with them and shake their hands and look them in the eye um, and, and read their body language and understand that we actually are on the same track. But then we need to disconnect, right? We need to actually spend time when we're just focusing on one thing at a time. And we know that just by turning off all your notifications and only, for example, looking at your emails two or three times a day increases mental health significantly, increases your connection with the organisation because you no longer feel stressed about the fact that you're constantly getting emails and increases your productivity and your um, innovation. So, you know, doing things where we actually disconnect, which sort of seems counterintuitive, but disconnecting so that you actually connect better with your organisation. So not having, you know, employees receiving emails 24 hours a day. A lot of countries in the UK and a lot of, you know, really, really successful organisations in the US, in the UK, sorry, and especially Germany, have now banned employees getting emails after, well, after work and before work. So you're not allowed to actually send an email to an employee before work or afterwards. It's got to be during working hours and only during working hours. And employees aren't allowed to actually check their email outside of working hours. Because of the fact we know that they're so much more successful and so much more productive if we give them those breaks away from the organisation. So a, a really important thing is, yeah, to, to allow them time to disconnect. And that's really important, again, for this connection, because what you're saying is all the employees, and that includes the CEO, and that includes all the leaders, have to do the same thing. They all have to disconnect too, because if you've got employees who are looking at the leaders, are looking at the managers, and they're still on an email at 7 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the morning, then they're going to go, well, for me to actually become that, I've got to do that too. So everybody has to do it. So it has to be across the whole organisation, which is why they do it organisation-wide. And then everybody's, yeah, working better. You have, you know, I mean, the most important thing in any organisation, of course, is the brain health of the individuals within the organisation because they're the ones that actually do the work. And by doing this, they're going to be a lot more healthy brains. Mental health is going to improve and they're going to be way more productive and way more connected to the organisation because they feel as though they're actually the organisation's looking after them. The organisation is actually worried about their, their social life, worried about their uh, mental health. And so you get better productivity and you get better um, outcomes. Have you ever been to Silicon Valley? No, well, I've, I've been to Caltech. <laughs> um, I did present at Caltech many years ago. So I've uh, been to the area, <laughs> but I haven't been to Silicon Valley. I just, you know, I, I worked at, at some heavy hitters when I was in Silicon Valley. I worked, for example, at Apple. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of not getting email before or after working hours, I think, I, I think people would rebel. I I remember being incredibly stressed because I would wake up, you know, six in the morning and immediately check my email before I was even out of bed. And then I would check email before I went to bed at 10 or 11 at night. And if you didn't do that, then you were behind. And there was serious FOMO, fear, fear of missing out. There was, mm -hmm. you know, serious repercussions if you missed an email or something. And so I just, I wonder, I think that Silicon Valley would be a kinder place if that was in, enacted, but 
I just, yeah. I can't imagine it. But I mean, these things happen. I mean, we never thought that it would happen. You looking at organizations uh, like Ducati, like Volvo, like these are big organizations that have actually implemented these these processes and seen huge increases in productivity. So I think if organizations realize that their bottom line would increase, <laughs> that they'd hold on to employees for longer, they wouldn't have the mental health issues that they are currently seeing. They wouldn't have the stress. As you said, you're extremely stressed by this, you know, and FOMO is a huge problem in society today. So if we can decrease those things, you're going to hold on to employees for longer and they're going to be more productive. So, and if it comes from the top, that's when you actually get it actually working. If it's everybody, including the CEO, including the CFO and all the rest of it, actually do it as well then then it works it doesn't work if you just say you know all, all the line managers and below have to do it mm. because then they're not going to do it because they're all going to be looking up going oh, these guys are still doing it so i have to do it and they're going to try and do it on the slide um mm-hmm. but i mean some countries have now made it illegal you country, companies get fined if they email their employees after hours um so you know and it does it increases you know mental health which is awesome right and that's what we really need to do. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. It's I, I feel like in some ways we've got a mental health crisis brewing and it's it's important for folks to take care of themselves. So this is this is a good step. I like mm-hmm. it. All right. Yeah. Yeah, and everyone's going to be more productive, which is good for everyone, right? right. Mm-hmm. And, and people want to be productive, right? People don't not want to be productive. People actually want to be successful. And people get huge huge positive emotions and so on when they are being productive you know it's nothing better than actually having one of those days where you actually you got into the the rhythm and you got a lot a lot of shit done and then you know at the end of the day you feel good about it right and everybody's like that and so if we give them the opportunity to do that by giving them those breaks after hours then they're they're all going to be working so much better for the organization which is going to be awesome for everybody yeah i agree totally awesome well, let's transition a little bit and talk about you and specifically your products and services. Do you have a product or a service you'd like to plug? So I have my book coming out called The Connected Species, How the Evolution of the Brain Can Change the World. That's coming out in August. And so, yeah, that that has tips and tricks at the end of each chapter. So each chapter goes through a different issue and then we have tips and tricks at the bottom of it that you can actually implement both in your life and in your organisation. So that's the number one. So if you go to my website, which is drmarkwilliams.com, there's links there, but it's on all of the book, it's in all the bookshops at the moment. So you can pre-order it in any of the online bookshops wherever you get your books. So yeah, that's a connected species and that's on a lot of the stuff we talked here and then a whole lot of other stuff, as you can imagine. Yeah, with, with lots of tips, at, a, a tip at the end of each chapter so you can actually change your life and improve both your mental health, your brain health, and your productivity in your organization. All right. Well, the information for that will be in the show notes. So I'll make sure that Jen drops that in the show notes for everybody so you'll be able to click on it and grab that. Great. Thank you. More about you. These are the... This is the more about you. This is the speed round. This is where okay. I ask a few, a few slightly personal questions. Nothing, uh, nothing terribly personal. The first one is if you could sit in my seat and interview anyone you want, living or dead, who would it be and why? Oh, that is an awesome question. I, I wrote that one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you did. You did. That is a great question. Anybody I wanted. I think it'd be Richard Branson, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's amazing what he managed to do. Yeah. Given he's, you know, he's 
very honest yeah issues that he had around being shy and so on and yet he he's able to turn around and he, he's he's one of those great leaders that connects with everyone with all the employees he actually makes them all feel as though he loves them all and they're all mm-hmm. part of this unique organization that does yeah some amazing things I, yeah i think i think he would be someone i'd, I'd love to to chat to and then of course there's there's the greats like da vinci i think da vinci would be an amazing person mm-hmm. i mean he was well ahead of his time and he was amazing in so many different aspects of his life and he was, yeah, an, ama- an amazing individual. Who, I mean, he came out with a helicopter, what, <laughs> several hundred years <laughs> before we even could have, you know, planes in the air. I mean, come on. That's yeah. nuts. <laughs> nuts. Yeah. Yeah, boy, that, that would be fun to talk to Da Vinci. I haven't yeah. heard, no, nobody's brought that up yet. So that's a good okay. one. <laughs> nice. All right. My next question for you is what's your favorite vacation spot and why? Uh, it's it's probably a recency thing, but I just got back from the Solomon Islands. I went on a surf trip with a, a group of mates that we've been meaning. Yeah, we get we we like to get together regularly, and that that was awesome. We were on a, a surf resort um, in an island, which was yeah, it was pretty remote, and we had to we had to get a little jump jet to get onto an, another island where it actually landed on a on a grass field. Um, which is pretty hairy, to be honest. But, yeah, and then got another boat. Uh, and then we surfed some of the outer reefs there, which were just amazing. But the people there are just beautiful, absolutely beautiful. And, um, yeah, the fishing there was amazing and we just ate seafood every day and, yeah, surfed every day and then drank beer every night and laughed about life, um, yeah, which is really cool. Nice. Yeah. Do you know if the scuba diving's any good there? I'm a, I'm a it's amazing. Diver. The organization, we, the, the place we stayed at, they just set up a, a scuba center there. They hadn't, they, they were still trying to hire a paddy licensed person to actually run it for them. So they, they oh. sort of built it and were hoping people would come. But she was a diver. The manager there was a diver. We didn't manage to dive. I was just a bit, you know, cautious because I haven't dived for about 10 years. So we decided not to, but a huge number of um, wrecks there, um, which have never been dived. So it would be amazing. And it's completely untapped. It's, yeah, oh. she, she was just pointing out where all these um, huge wrecks were because of uh, World War Two, and, you know, played out in that area. There's a oh. huge number of wrecks. And a lot were, were also just sunk at the end of World War Two, So they're in fairly shallow areas. Um, oh, yeah, nice. It would be nuts because it's huge and, and it's completely untapped. No one's oh, dived most of it. Amazing. Yeah. All right. I'll put I'll put that on my list. Put that on your bucket list. Definitely. Yeah. It's going to be it'd be awesome. I'm I'm going uh, back. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, well, aside from the Solomon Islands, where would you most like to travel? Antarctica. I, I, I work with a, a, an organization called Upschool, and they do a whole bunch of programs for schools, which are all free online bit of a plug there for them but they just went to antarctica to film a whole bunch of classes for schools for, for kids and it would that just sounded amazing i've always dreamt about going to antarctica i think it'd be just an incredible place to go a very surreal place to go so antarctica would be my dream all right antarctica <laughs> well mark let's wrap it up thank you so much i really enjoyed our conversation how can people find you best place would be as i said drmarkwilliams.com 
So just dr and then markwilliams.com. All of my details are there and all of my programs and so on are all on there and links to the book and so on. So uh, yeah, head straight there. My phone number's there as well if you want to give me a pass. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe, comment, share, and connect with me on LinkedIn. And we will catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Management Development Unlocked. Want more? Get a ton of insider tips and tools at gerardtrainingsolutions.com. 